Brian Kemp says anyone but Donald Trump. You cannot get distracted. You have to tell the voters of your state why they need to vote for you. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Lustein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to follow us and share the episode with your friends because it helps us really grow the show. Patricia, it has been quite the weekend for our family. Um, we I just came back from a playoff tennis match for Nicole, my oldest daughter's middle school tennis team. Unfortunately, she lost, so did most of her team, but one kid won. Um, she's bummed, but she also won a tournament this weekend, so she can't be too bummed. <laughs> uh, uh, I love it. My kids, both um, my son and my daughter are playing on the same Little League baseball team, and they're having a great season. They're called the Sliding Sids after Sid Bream. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and there's a kid on the team named Sid also, um, and they're having a great season. There is just nothing better than Little League on a spring day. It's just, and a spring night, actually, we've had a lot of night games. It's just awesome. It's so great. And this is the time to be doing it. Is Sid, is the Sid on your team kind of a lumbering first baseman with a slow but, but steady gait? who can barrel into home plate for a, a, a championship winning slide. He is not. He is a firecracker. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up in today's episode, uh, we're going to talk more about our kids' tennis team. No, uh, we're going to talk about Governor Kemp's, to me, his sharpest, his most cutting comments yet about the Republican Party's direction heading into the 2024 direct, uh, election, and also about why Moving on from Trump, even in a state like Georgia, won't be easy. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, for all through the 2022 campaign, Governor Kemp's sort of point of pride was, I'm not going to say a bad word about Donald Trump, even though he was the punching bag for the former president who went to great lengths to try to see him ousted from office, even endorsing not just David Perdue, but even you know at a rally uh, last year, even talking about supporting Stacey Abrams if it came to that. Um, well, the governor has moved off of that strategy, of course, with now a second term safe in hand and a major question about where Republicans go. Um, he did not mention Donald Trump by name, but he didn't need to. Everyone who was listening to his speech before the Republican National Committee in Nashville over the weekend and who heard his remarks on CNN and here in Atlanta knew who he was talking about when he said, not a single swing voter in a single swing state will vote for our nominee if they choose to talk about the 2020 election being stolen. So Patricia, to me, that was the most scathing rebuke that we've seen from the Georgia governor of Donald Trump yet. 
Yes, it's almost also, I think what's also important is that it's the most scathing rebuke that we've heard from any leading Republican at this point, Uh, somebody who's still in the mix. You know, we hear from Republicans who either are not running for election. Kemp is not, but he does have a political future ahead of him, possibly. Um, He is not somebody who is 85 and retired. This is somebody who is still in the game and is working now very hard to get Republicans to follow him and to follow him away from Donald Trump. And so not only did he go to the RNC where Donald Trump would be speaking later that night. So this was certainly not like he was um, delivering this message to a crowd of people who have no interest in hearing from Donald Trump. Um, That was not the case. There was a chance that they could run into each other, which they did not. Um, They, so he gives this to Republican donors who Kemp really thinks need to hear this message and needs to be they need to be sort of in his mind, shown a path away from Trump. It's not enough to say Donald Trump is is not going to win it for us. You need to give him give those donors, give people not just another person to support. That's not really it, but another way to do it. And in 2022, Brian Kemp found another way to do it. He found a way to win a GOP primary um, in a walk absolutely trounced David Perdue, who was Donald Trump's uh, nominee, and then save enough room for yourself at the middle to get back and still win the general election by a huge margin. So that's the path he laid out for Republicans. To me, it was also fascinating that then he shows up on CNN the next day to amplify that message. And he had been getting um, in invited by Jake Tapper to come on his show for a very long time, uh, decided that Sunday was the right day to do it. So picked up the phone, said, let's do an interview with Jake Tapper, and then went on CNN to amplify his message, which uh, very, very important. Let's hear a snippet of that. Jake Tapper on CNN asked the governor on Sunday if it would be a mistake for the Republican Party to nominate Donald Trump. Well, that's for the people to decide, but my point is exactly what you said. We cannot get distracted. I mean, one of the things that I learned and learned running in 2022 in a very tough environment against a very tough nationally funded opponent that raised $100 million, 90% of the money coming from outside of the state, is you cannot get distracted. You have to tell the voters of your state why they need to vote for you. That's why I talked about what we're doing here in Georgia to help people fight through 40-year high inflation, high gas prices, making sure they have a good-paying job, and making sure that we're doing something about crime in their neighborhood by going after street gangs and street racers. And if we get distracted and talk about other things that the Democrats want to talk about, like these investigations, regardless of what you think about the politics of those, if we get distracted every day and let the media just talk about that, that only helps Joe Biden. It does not give us a path for Republicans to win. Patricia, I had a chance to catch up with the governor on Tuesday at a human trafficking event, and I asked him this. You said you wanted to um, keep an open mind over who you might endorse for 2024 and the Republican nominee. What are you looking for in a potential candidate? Well, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that can win. I mean, that was, that was my, <laughs> you know, you can't govern if you don't win. And That's that right. was my message over the weekend. It's like, we got to stay, uh, first of all, we got to tell people what we're for. I, I believe that one of the things that we learned running is, is you know, we didn't just contrast with, with our opponent. We told people what we were for, what we were going to do. We did that this legislative session, and I think the people uh, appreciate that fact. Uh, number two, we've got to be focused on what we're going to do in the future. 
you know, people that are trying to deal with 40 year high inflation, high gas prices. Um, you know, Speaker McCarthy made a great point yesterday that every American has lost $7,500 because of inflation over the last two years under the Biden administration. So like we need to talk to people about what we're going to do for them to help them fight through that. And then thirdly, we got to be able to win. You know, we got to have somebody that can win. So that's what I'm looking for. Patricia, a couple of things stand out to me about those two comments that we just heard from Governor Kemp. One is that he feels like his leadership in Georgia, his agenda in Georgia is a blueprint that other Republicans can follow. He's not a moderate. We, he's never pretended to be a moderate. We've never framed him as a moderate. Uh, he has shepherded some of the most conservative legislation on abortion, on guns, culture wars issues and the like, but also he's appealed to swing voters, at least some swing voters with his economic agenda. And that's something that we just heard him highlight, uh, you know, having a vision for Republican party in the future, rather than focusing on the past, the election fraud lies. And the second thing that really comes, sticks out to me is there's always this debate about electability over values, right? Should, should Republicans, should Democrats, should a party, elect someone, nominate someone um, who shares their vision or make it more important or put a priority on someone who can actually win in a November election. That's Governor Kemp saying, look, you know, let, let's put someone who can actually win first over, uh, he, he's not saying abandon Republican values, but you are hearing him say that someone who could win in November, who can actually carry a, a November election, uh, should be the top priority. And it's not exactly groundbreaking, but he is taking a side in an, in an ongoing debate that we've heard over pretty much every election year about, you know, uh, should someone should someone follow and, and, and carry out the values of the Republican Party or the values that Democrats have the same debate? Or should someone who's more electable get the nomination? Yeah. And to your point, though, he is not saying I want somebody who can win. So let's let's soft pedal that abortion stance that we've got. Yeah. Let's try and uh, go more to the middle to appeal more to moderate voters. That is not what he's talking about at all. But when he says, I want someone who can win, what he's not saying is that, and by the way, Donald Trump didn't win. <laughs> but that's what he means. There are Republicans in Georgia led by Marjorie Taylor Greene who say Donald Trump did win in 2020. The election was stolen from him. He needs to run again in 2024 so that he can right that wrong. That is her message. That is Donald Trump's message. So Brian Kemp is not parroting that line because he, first of all, I think knows that Donald Trump did not win. And he knows that that line's a loser because that just lost in Georgia five months ago. So um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, but it does take somebody willing to speak the truth to his party when a lot of them don't want to hear it. So let's look into the latest UGA poll to look at people who may not want to hear it. And those are those GOP primary voters. That poll from UGA showed that Listen, Donald Trump is still the favorite of those GOP voters in the GOP primary here in Georgia. That's not a national poll. It's a Georgia poll. Um, and it also showed that Donald Trump, despite 
everything that's happened over the last two years still has an 80% approval rating among GOP voters. And he did even better among women than he did among men. And so you look at those numbers and then you say, well, who can win? Um, Were it not for Brian Kemp's example to show, oh, here's how you win without Donald Trump, those numbers don't tell you who could win besides Donald Trump in Georgia. Brian Kemp is showing you that outside of those numbers, and by the way, there's internal polling that kind of shows those numbers are a bit um, rosy for Trump. Um, But outside of those numbers, Brian Kemp is the type of candidate who can win in Georgia and therefore across the country. Yeah, let's dive adverse in that poll in a couple of minutes. But before we do, um, Governor Kemp, another part of that interview, he's acknowledging what everyone's acknowledging, which is Georgia is going to be at the center of the 2024 battleground, right? It is going to be both parties see Georgia as one of just a handful of states that are key on the electoral map. Both parties expect whoever the Republican nominee is to duke it out with Joe Biden in territory like Georgia and in just a precious few other swing states. Um, Kemp discussed if Donald Trump can actually win Georgia, um, especially after the rebukes he faced in 2022 when most of the candidates he endorsed could not. Well, and that's really my point from yesterday's remarks is the road to the White House is coming through Georgia and two or three other states that really, in my opinion, are going to decide the presidential race. And I was just laying out the blueprint print for, I think, any candidate to be able to win is to talk about what we're for, focus on the future, not look in the rearview mirror. You know, if you look in the rearview mirror too long while you're driving, you're going to look up and you're going to be running into somebody, and that's not going to be good. Again, Patricia, hearing from the governor, look at the future, not the past. Doesn't seem like this sort of maverick message on its face because it's not revolutionary, but in the sense of many Republicans, as you mentioned, not just the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. I mean, even a lot of rank-and-file Republicans who, as we see at the state legislature, are still committed to trying to rewrite election laws and focus on Donald Trump's grievances and other issues. And of course, from Donald Trump himself, who has made his grievances the centerpiece of his re-election campaign. Um, here we have the governor saying over and over again, look ahead, not look behind. Yeah, and so many of those ideas and those messages from um, from lawmakers, particularly about continuing to change elections, that's coming from their base voters. Those voters are contacting their lawmakers and saying, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And that is how so many of those laws end up coming into the Capitol for consideration in the first place. So it is a really widespread, um, widely embraced concept among some portion of the Georgia GOP. But again, in 2022, that message just simply did not carry the day. And if you look back at not just David Perdue, but here a few blasts from the past, John Gordon, Patrick Witt, <laughs> other Republicans who ran statewide. Names you have not heard in a while. <laughs> yes, you have not heard Jody of them. Heiss. Because they didn't even come close to winning. And they've uh, sort of dropped off the face of um, certainly of the, the public sphere. Um, because that message that they were peddling to uh, seize the voting machines, to have an audit to have not just a recount, but a, um, you know, all kind of a forensic reexamination 
Georgia voters just totally rejected that. They rejected that in the primaries in 2022. And then in the general election, I really do think that part of Brian Kemp's strength in that general election was not based as much on his conservative bills that he's pushed through, including the six-week abortion ban, including permitless carry for guns. Um, It was the fact that he was willing to go up against Donald Trump. And we heard from voter after voter who said, you know, between my two choices, between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, I'm not crazy about some of Kemp's policies, but he stood up for the state when I wanted him to. And you know, that was sort of all they needed to know about Brian Kemp in that moment. And so um, conservatives, crazy about Brian Kemp, but he had that message. And it was really thanks to Donald Trump that he had that, that he could then go on and be a stronger statewide candidate than he would have otherwise without Trump really making him enemy number one, attacking him over and over. Same thing with Brad Raffensperger, um, raising his profile in that way and bringing to voters' attention that here are people who have been pressured and hammered by Donald Trump and ignored all of those things and stood up for um, the the voters um, and the votes that they cast. And we saw very shortly after that primary poll show Governor Kemp with 90, 95% of support from fellow Republicans, which meant that the Republican civil war was was pretty much over, which meant he was freer not to move away from those conservative positions because he he never did, um, but at least he was freer to go appeal to more swing voters, um, uh, not overtly making that Trump, I stood up to Trump message a part of his campaign, but certainly making his economic agenda one of his main uh, arguments to those voters um, that he was doing what what he could with the state budget to buffer Georgians from the effects of inflation and the like, uh, which proved to be, uh, a, you know, a winning argument for him. Okay, but let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the hosts of this podcast, we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, you alluded to it earlier, but this is the reason why it won't be so easy for Republicans in Georgia like Governor Kemp who want to move on from Donald Trump to do so. Um, there's a schism 
I did this informal survey of dozens and dozens of elected officials and county party leaders and activists, and very just a very small number of them said they are going to openly endorse Donald Trump's re-election campaign. But at the same time, rank-and-file voters in Georgia continue, even though the state is the home of some of his most humiliating setbacks over the last four years, they continue uh, to show him uh, you know, unequivocal support. The University of Georgia's latest poll, which came out just a few days ago, showed that Donald Trump led the field of likely Republican voters in Georgia with 51%. Not an overwhelming majority, but a pretty solid majority because the closest behind him was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, who's expected to enter the race within a few months. He's at 30%. Every other Republican contender lagged in the single digits. And this is this was surprising to me. Only 7% of the respondents were undecided. Patricia, as you said earlier, there's some internal polling that shows Donald Trump in a slightly more difficult straits. But most of the polling I've seen that are both public and private show Donald Trump as the front runner in Georgia. I'm not surprised to see him front runner in some other states, but Georgia is the home of, of his biggest, some of his biggest electoral setbacks. So to anyone who thought that because he was rebuked here, because his handpicked challengers to incumbents were defeated, because Herschel Walker, who of course he recruited to run, was was, was trounced in a was defeated again in the last year's Senate runoff, and because of course he lost, Donald Trump lost himself to Joe Biden here, that he would kind of come in limping. Um, he, he's coming into this, he's entering this race in pretty solid ground. Not, not the best, but pretty solid footing. Yeah, and it's all feeling a lot like deja vu when it when we think about 2016 in particular, when Donald Trump was ahead of a crowded field and well ahead enough that that's all he needed to win that GOP primary. And I will be fascinated if in, if indeed Donald Trump were to manage to hold on to this nomination, um, what those most skeptical Republican leaders would do, because um, I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't. Uh, then endorse Trump or certainly say, well, yes, I would vote for Donald Trump. They're not going to vote for Joe Biden, I don't think. Um, but, it, you know, it's going to be like another year of the, these kinds of decisions and these kind of statements that Republicans don't want to have to make. They don't want to have to deal with it. They want to be able to get behind their GOP nominee, who is hopefully in their minds, not under indictment in their own state, um, not having every headline come out of uh, the Fulton County investigation with one more piece of bad news after the next. And and that investigation, unlike Alvin Bragg's investigation, is specifically about Donald Trump's conduct here in Georgia in 2020. So it just sets up such a collision course for the Republicans who so want to get past this and not pretend like it never happened, but just turn the page on Donald Trump versus this very clear um this very clear majority of Republicans who still put Donald Trump at the top of their pile. But when you get into that, when you get into those cross tabs, to me the number that jumped out was that fewer than 85% of 
uh, Republicans um, would vote for Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup with a Democrat. In the general election, um, there is some number who would vote for a Democrat. Another smaller number would vote for a third party. Others would not vote at all. And so in a close state like Georgia, if you're talking about those 11,000 votes, that's the kind of margin that a GOP presidential nominee really can't afford mm-hmm. to lose. And I mean, all of this is just so early. It's, it's early. It's uh, quite, uh, I wouldn't say it's speculative, because people obviously know who we're talking about here. Um, it's so, so very early. So much is going to happen um, between now and the actual GOP primary. But Republicans are running out of time for another alternative to Trump to really come forward and catch fire. Ron DeSantis is out there, but um, you know he has as many skeptics as he does supporters. And other than Ron DeSantis, nobody else is popping in this poll, and we're not hearing anybody else out there in the ether um, who's uh, kind of knocking on the door of getting into this race who is popping. Tim Scott is looking at the race, the senator over in South Carolina, beloved by um, uh, grassroots activists, but it's not clear if he would be a viable national nominee. So far, it hasn't quite taken off like wildfire. Um, Nikki Haley is has already gotten in. Her candidacy has not uh, has not exploded uh, the way somebody really needs to when they're first getting in. So we'll see what happens with this race. But to me, it's a lot of deja vu from 2016. And that has to worry Republicans like Brian Kemp, who don't want to go down this road yeah. again. And that is a big piece of why he stood up in Nashville and uh, spoke up. A lot of deja vu from 2016 with uh, a, a strong front runner and a lot of other competitors who are kind of splitting the the uh, the anti front runner vote, which is exactly what we saw in 2016. I want to drill that a little deeper into the numbers you said because that that, that stuck up to me too, Patricia, B- because we saw not just in 2020 with the you know 12,000 or so vote margin, but also of course in 2022 where Republicans won every statewide contest on the ballot, except for the U.S. Senate race. And they lost that because a very small number, but a very significant number of swing voters decided they would vote Republican down the ticket, except for the Senate race, that they couldn't stomach voting for Herschel Walker. And so we know firsthand how even a small number of voters can swing a statewide election in a state as close as Georgia. So this poll pointed to that, said while 85% of Republican voters say they'll back Trump if he's the nominee no matter what, 6% say they'll cast their ballot for a Democrat if he's the nominee, 3% say they'll side with a third-party candidate, and 2% say they'll skip the vote altogether. These numbers are not to be, they're not written in stone, carved in stone by any means right now. Um, We always see these numbers really narrow, but even so, even if it's 3% 3% of those voters who cannot vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance, as we saw, the same same dynamic held with Herschel Walker, where over and over again, polls, campaign stops, uh, in- anecdote, anecdotal evidence, interviews with voters, you name it, we kept on hearing from a solid but small but solid core of Republican voters who said, I cannot vote for Herschel Walker. And guess what? That, pr- that proved to be the decisive factor in that race. When you're also looking at, you know, who could be competitive, and, and DeSantis is the only, is the only one even within remotely within striking distance in this poll, at least. And again, lots could change, and someone else could emerge, or DeSantis could get stronger. But um, 
DeSantis was competitive only among smaller slices of voters. Trump led DeSantis in pretty much every major category in the Georgia poll, at least. The only place where DeSantis was really competitive was among some younger Republican voters. Younger voters tend to vote in less, <laughs> in smaller proportions than, than older voters. Those with annual incomes that topped $100,000 and those with higher levels of education. So, you know, there, there are some openings for DeSantis. Um, and then again, you also look at some of the other candidates. Nikki Haley's been in the race for weeks now. She's at just four percent, and that's the governor of of the neighboring state in Georgia, who you'd, you'd imagine has a, Republicans are more familiar with. And then ex Vice President Mike Pence, who spent a lot of time down here, just at two percent. So it really does show you. And this is in Georgia, right? This isn't a place where 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 Donald Trump wouldn't necessarily be the prohibitive favorite. Well, he is. Yes. And um, now let's look at the other side of the equation Mm -hmm. for Democrats. So all signs are pointing to Joe Biden. There is no reason to think he's not running. There is no reason to think that any significant challenger is going to step forward to Joe Biden. And it feels to me almost like Joe Biden um, is not real popular in Georgia. He's typically at about 40% or less in terms of approval ratings. But that's not a head-to-head number. That is the approval rating. How do you feel about Joe Biden today, particularly with the economy and inflation the way it is? Um, uh, His numbers have just been really lagging. But put him in a head-to-head, it almost feels like Donald Trump's the only person he could beat in Georgia. (laughs) So the fact that Donald Trump is the person who's coming forward in these polls, and you have to look and think, compared to 2020, which voter would vote differently? Which voter who voted for Biden the last time around would vote for Trump the next time around, even after a potential indictment, even after everything that happened following the 2020 elections? Um, and while Biden was running kind of on his own in 2020, now they've got the two U.S. senators who are Democrats who are still hugely popular in their own base. Um, so there's a lot more Democratic infrastructure and surrogates who can be here for Biden um, out there making the case for him. And uh, somebody like Warnock, who's just come off of his own win um, here in the state, uh, complete with support from independent and moderate voters. Um, that's that's just the better environment, it seems like, going in to 2024, even with all the headwinds that Joe Biden is facing. If he has Donald Trump waiting at the end of this yellow brick road for him, um, <laughs> that seems like it's uh, it's a scenario that Democrats are are very comfortable with. Yeah, this poll didn't didn't uh, it only focused on likely Republican primary voters, but we have seen some polls that show a direct head to head matchup between Trump and Biden, with Biden with with a slight edge. Again, really early. Um, but a couple more things that I want to just highlight from this poll that w- w- were interesting and w- will factor into a lot of our discussions is the, the the impending the ongoing Fulton County probe into Donald Trump and his efforts to overturn the election were not specifically asked about in this poll, but respondents were asked about the New York case against Donald Trump, the indictment. Uh, nearly 90% of Georgia Republicans say the criminal charges should not disqualify him from seeking office again. Not a surprise, but what it is is 7% who say they should. So again, you're seeing a significant number, not a huge number, but a significant and steady number of Republican voters who are displaying ongoing concerns about Donald Trump. They could come back to haunt Republicans if he's the nominee. Um, and 
both Trump and DeSantis had 80% approval ratings higher than Pence and Haley, who were also polled. They were closer to 60. Trump and DeSantis were at 80. Um, Tim Scott, who entered the race uh, a couple days ago, has a 45% positive rating. A lot of voters still just feel like they don't know enough about him to form opinion. But I want to go back to what we talked about earlier with Governor Kemp saying that electability is as important as it is because voters in this poll were also asked about it. And it's interesting because about one third say it's most important to endorse, to nominate a candidate who can beat Biden in 2024. So one third of voters say that's their top priority. 46% say they want someone who shares their stances on major issues. So 46% say the ideological and political views of the nominee is their foremost priority, not necessarily uh, who can beat Biden. And then 20% of GOP voters value both equally. So, you know, you're, we're going to be talking a lot more about this sort of uh, this debate. Um, uh, we've had this debate. We've seen this debate for years and years. Um, and, you know, you heard from Governor Kemp saying, hey, the most important factor is someone who can actually win. Not, you know, he's not, again, as you mentioned, Patricia, he's not saying abandon values and, and, and moderate on key issues. But he's just saying someone who is actually electable. And Georgia voters are fairly split on that. You know, there's a lot of Republican voters who, of course, they want their candidate to win, but they say that um, they say that someone who shares their stances on major issues is their top priority. That is a really striking number for me um, to see that large of a number of Republicans okay with some supporting somebody who might lose. That is unusual. <laughs> that is a number that uh, if you've lost an election recently here in the state, you love seeing it because you're like, oh, good. So this is not disqualifying that I've just lost my last election. <laughs> you guys are open to me. Great. Let's do this thing. Um, so because there will be about 6 million polls between now and the actual election in 2024, I mean, 6 million might be many uh, high, uh, high yeah, uh, number 6,000. You know, it's, it's yeah. going to be a lot. So you know, polls are what they are. However, there are ways for us and for listeners to be looking at signs of which candidates are starting to get some real strength here in Georgia as these primaries go forward, because they're going to be voting in less than a year. Now is the time to be getting themselves organized um, and really preparing for an election day coming up. It's a, an incredibly difficult job because um, these candidates are having to look at, you know, sort of preparing for 50, uh, 50 different elections all at the same time. Um, but I'll be looking to see who, which staff, which campaign staff and advisors are going to campaigns, um, because we know among ourselves who are really kind of to be top quality, who has a record of winning and knowing how to win here in the state, which fundraisers and bundlers are getting locked up by these campaigns. Um, are there any surprises? Um, because it's going to matter how you raise money in this state. Can you just put a functional operation on the ground? And then um, as time goes on, which endorsements are we seeing? Which um, state lawmakers, mayors are getting behind these candidates? Again, are there any surprises there? There are certainly more conservative members of the legislature and uh, more kind of pragmatic members. Who are they getting behind? Because they will absolutely be getting wooed for their support. And then how much money are they raising? So those will be sort of, sort of benchmarks that I'm looking at. But, you know, I think first and foremost are the issues. Like what's the issue set that's going to make voters um, angry and unhappy with an incumbent versus 
open-minded to look at somebody else. And so I think the economy is the number one issue that -hmm. I'll be following to see um, where, how is the economy? What are the numbers? How are people feeling, even if that's different from the numbers? And what does inflation look like? Um, Because I think Joe Biden's biggest Achilles heel um, really are those inflation numbers and just people's ability to feel like they are making forward progress um, in a situation where the headwinds in the economy feel like sometimes it's pushing people backwards. Yeah, Patricia, I, I agree with all those indicators. That the things I'd add are campaign trail stops. Joe Biden bet it all on, on South Carolina. Oh, last okay, election. thank you. Good point. And, good point. Um, you know, it proved out. It worked out pretty well for him. So we'll of course be watching very closely to see which candidates, uh, where the, where their strategies uh, line up. Also, you know, where they deviate from where there's there's not that many policy differences. There are some, but there's not that many, and those are going to be very important. Um, within within each of the the party primaries, and then to me, always one of the best indicators is what the candidates themselves are saying. I know back in 2020, there was all this talk about doing the special election with Raphael Warnock, and uh, you know, the, it was like 19 different candidates if I remember. It might have been 21. There was a ton of different candidates, more than a do- more than a dozen different candidates running at that special election. There's all a lot of talk about, oh wow, is is. Raphael Warnock nervous about a Democratic challenger. Joe Lieberman's son, Matt, was running and other Democrats were running. And I knew I knew he was never worried because, you know, his folks and his advisors and he himself was telling me he wasn't worried. But the real reason I knew he wasn't worried because he didn't take a single shot at any Democratic opponents. And you can tell a lot by what the candidates themselves are doing. And that's why you know that Donald Trump is genuinely worried about DeSantis because who is he taking shots at? He's not taking shots at Really, you know, he's barely talking about Nikki Haley or Tim Scott. Or the, he said a few things about them. But who, who is he really focusing his fire on? DeSantis. So sometimes it's as easy as that. <laughs> you know, it, it's not, uh, sometimes it's not really a game of chess. It's really checkers. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and speaking of checkers, sometimes you see a candidate in real life and they are just terrible. They're, they're stiff. They're awkward. They say things that you just want to hide under a table. You're so embarrassed for them. And so um, some people will get really pumped up by the national media based on their poll numbers or based on the fact that they're new or have money or whatever. And then you see them in real life with real voters and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. You know, it's funny. In 2016, the candidate I was most impressed with having like been on the campaign trail and watching a lot of these candidates really up close and personal, it was Chris Christie. You know, he was the one who connected, he could connect with every single person in a room. And I was so impressed with his ability. It didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter because he didn't have the firepower and the star power of Donald Trump and, and the donations and all that. But, you know, you're right though. Sometimes, and sometimes it's the candidate who does struggle with people who ends up running and, and doing very well. So we'll see. We have a lot to, we have a long, long way to go. It's going to be a fun ride though, Patricia, isn't it? It's the most wonderful time of the year, and it's not even that time of the year yet. <laughs> I know. I kind of feel like I'm glad that there isn't a whole lot else going on so that we could talk about this episode. We do have one more. We do have one election um, that we want to put on our listeners' radar really quickly. It is the April 18th election. That means it is 
Today, we are taping this on Tuesday, April 18th, and it is currently Election Day in Mableton. By the time our listeners hear this, obviously, Election Day will be over in Mableton. But by the time they wake up and have this in their feed, there may be final numbers on the Mableton mayor's race and four of the six Mableton city council seats. Um, The reason those are so important is because Mableton is a brand new city. This will be the first mayor of the city of Mableton, the first full city council for the city of Mableton. Um, And our listeners can go to AJC.com to get all of those results up to date. There is also a sheriff's race in Clayton County that is to um, elect the successor to Victor Hill, who got in all kinds of ethical trouble and left his seat as a result of that. So um, the result of the Clayton County Sheriff's Race will also be at AJC.com. Check out AJC.com for all your latest political news. That's about all the time we have for today's show. Reminder that you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Producer Shandy B is on a well-deserved vacation, so producer Jay Black is standing by. Well, Shane actually uh, coming off vacation so he can be here to answer the phone line <laughs> when you wake up. So Shane will be here. Uh, he's lost most of his interns. Uh, he's got like two that don't have anywhere else to go. But you will get to you. You will be able to get the Shaney B treatment uh, when you call in the hotline. So basically, every time you call, you are taking a piece of his vacation away from him. But but he's okay with that. That's what he lives for. Is for the politically Georgia podcast hotline. So he would rather be nowhere else than taking your questions. So call him up. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.